Yes, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Sports Day WA with Peter Vlahos. Great to have your company on this Monday. I hope you had a really nice weekend. And it's interesting, isn't it, when you're in neutral, you tend to enjoy (laughs) the AFL matches more than when you're invested maybe as a supporter for the West Coast or the Fremantle Dockers. We're sitting back watching it as neutrals, many of us here in Western Australia. And it was a great game. Friday night, Carlton against Melbourne. How the Blues won that remains to be seen, but you take the most of your opportunities, and the Blues did do that. And Melbourne, poster after poster, Missing set shots on goal in the final term. In the end, they didn't get it done. Good teams kicked goals, and that's what Carlton did with the opportunities that were presented to them. And then on Saturday night, wasn't it wonderful watching the run and stun performance of the Giants over Port Adelaide? And I'd say that Collingwood now are reassessing that this is not a foregone conclusion at the MCG on Friday night because the Giants are in ripping form. They've won 11 of their last 13 and they just absolutely decimated Port Adelaide the other night. We've got plenty coming up on the program. Also, we heard about the passing of Ronald Dale Barassi. Later on, I'll be speaking to Hassaman, who played with Barassi in those premierships at Melbourne. Well, four of those anyway. And in 1964, Barassi dropped a seismic bombshell by saying that he was leaving the Demons and going to Carlton. And Hassaman, the following year, had to take on the responsibility of captain of Melbourne and getting into the, the boots and the shoes that were left by Ronald Barassi. So I'll speak to Hassaman about Barassi, the footballer, Barassi, the man, and what that was like when Barassi told these demon teammates in the club that he was out and he was going to Princess Park and was going to be involved with the Carlton Footy Club. So that's coming up a bit later on as well. The other one is seismic shocks. Where's rugby going in Australia? And the Wallabies capitulation against Fiji last night. And could it be a possibility, and it certainly is now, that in the first time ever, in World Cup rugby history, that Australia won't be able to advance out of the pool stage. It's unthinkable years ago. We've won the World Cup, and here we're battling to get out of the pool, which is quite incredible. We've got Wales and Portugal to come. We'll certainly be Portugal. Wales is a different kettle of fish, and I'll speak to my rugby man, Mick Collis, who, by the way, in two days' time, flies to France and will be there front and centre at the Rugby World Cup. And uh, hopefully the Wallabies will continue their path out of the pool stage and maybe to the quarterfinals. A couple of things I want to address here, and I'd love your thoughts on it before we get into the good oil and the big story of the day for Cobram Estate, premium Australian extra virgin olive oil. We'll come to that in just a sec. But it got me thinking on the weekend with the passing of Ron Barassi and everybody's now come out and saying, you know, maybe we should, including Mick Malthouse, who's very strong on it, that we should name the Premiership Trophy after Barassi. Call it the Barassi Premiership Trophy. And I thought to myself, why do we have to do it when the man has left, when he's passed on? Because... 
his contribution to the game is set in stone. We know what he did at the Demons during the club's most successful era. We know what he did when he went to Carlton and won two premierships, including that classic in 1970. We know what he did to North Melbourne, who were on the bones of their proverbial, and they recruited extensively, and they won a couple of huge premierships under Ron Barassi, their very first premierships. And, of course, we know what he did in helping the Sydney Swans to cement their existence in the Harbour City. But why do we have to always now look, once the man has passed on, to give him some sort of place in the game that he helped to develop and helped to direct over many years, over 60 years? Wouldn't it have been nice to maybe bestow that honour maybe while he was still with us a few years ago, 10 years ago, and all of a sudden they're so reactionary, the AFL. They're so reactionary. Now, all of a sudden, they're going to have a meeting and throw it up to the board and they may come out with the Barassi Premiership Cup to be presented to whoever wins the Premiership at the MCG in that final day in September. Why leave it to now? Why hadn't they done that maybe years before? Because here's so-called CV in the game, is there for all to see. And only now, because everybody's talking about Ron Barassi, have the AFL decided to react because people have made comments about how do we remember one of the greats and one of the so-called big names in Australian rules football. The other thing that was interesting, and you may have been listening to the program, is that on the weekend, news came out about a landmark class action that has been launched against the AFL for failing to protect players from racial abuse on the field. Now, the class action has been brought on by North Melbourne great Phil Cracker, who I spoke to on this program mid-last week after he was inducted into the WA Football Hall of Fame. Now, this includes six others who played football between 1975 and 2022. And those players wish to remain anonymous at this time. But Cracker said in a statement, for decades, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and people of colour have been racially abused while playing AFL. And we feel the AFL sat back and watched it all go by. Let's just go back and reflect on the conversation I had with Phil Cracker when I went to that comment regarding whether he, when he was playing for Claremont and North Melbourne, was racially abused. How difficult was it for you and Jimmy, being, of course, of an Indigenous uh, race and being a different colour, did you cop a lot of abuse during your waffle and your VFL days? All the time. Because it was, it, was it was deemed as a tactic, uh, you know, by, by the opposition. So, you know, the op- and, and where, where it was really, really, really tough, like, you can kind of... To some degree, it's not acceptable, but you can kind of hop it beyond the fence. What takes place? In our case, it was actually right out on the ground. You know, where you know, you know, where players would call you all sorts of names, and um, 
And that was the hard part, and uh, no one did anything about it. And, 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 and that went on for decades. So saying that, uh, I know Jimmy was uh, more the brawler than you were. It was at times it got yes. to Jimmy more than it got to you, hence why he got involved in a few melees and a few fights on the footy field? Pretty, pretty much so. Jimmy reacted straight away. You know, where I, 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 I probably try to try to find another way if I could, you know, like rather than, you know, being suspended and all that sort of stuff, I, I would, you know, try to, um, you know, kick a goal or lay a tackle or do something different, you know what I'm trying Yeah, but it, no, did it get to Jimmy Moore? No, it didn't. Um, it got to me. I, I, I still hurt from uh, the remarks. Um, you know, you know like it, 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 cut, it cut really deep and and we're talking, you know, decades and dec- uh, you know, decades of just... You know, racially being abused on and off the field. Mm. And off the field, you can you can cop to a degree, but not on the field. Yes. Do you think it's improved over the years, Phil? Now, you live in Melbourne. You would see a lot of football. You'd see a lot of uh, players talk to them. Do you think it's improved uh, the racial aspect when it comes to our great Indigenous players and, and what they received over the years? Yeah. I think, I, I think to be honest with you, the, um, it's improved as, as much as there are now... Uh, Almost every AFL club have got four, five, three or four, three, four, five Indigenous players playing for them. So from from that aspect, there's no one that will uh, uh, the the players are going to say any, anything about the uh, the, uh, the opposition players because they've got Aboriginal players playing for them. Mm. Where in, in in my day, in Jimmy's day, uh, there was myself over there and the, the late Morris Rowley. Yes, rest in peace. And um, all the other clubs never, never had an Aboriginal person, so they would not understand mm. where in today. So that's where it's improved. And from the crowd's point of view, um, there's a bit more, you know, the AFL puts things out, they try to stamp it out. So from the crowd's point of view, people are not, no longer saying it as much, but they will always be thinking it. Mm. So that was Phil Cracker with yours truly on Sports Day WA uh, middle of last week after he came over and uh, was honoured with uh, being inducted into the WA Football Hall of Fame and then came the news late last week and across the weekend that uh, he is leading a class action against the AFL for failing to protect players from racial abuse on the field. All right, let's go to another big story today. And that certainly is the uh, the big story for Cobram Estate, Premier Australian extra virgin olive oil regarding the Perth Wildcats. And Corey Webster now has issued an apology for his offensive comments towards the LGBTQ plus community, which he made on social media yesterday. This apology comes via an official statement released by the Perth Wildcats. And Webster has conceded that his comments were insensitive. And while highlighting that he didn't intend to cause offence, he understands how his comments have been perceived and that they don't align with the club's values of inclusiveness. Now, noting that, he should have understood the consequences of his actions and Webster has committed to better educating himself and said he stands with the club on inclusiveness. That was part of the statement. So that was a, a pretty significant story that broke today, uh, one of the uh, the big stories for Cobram Estate, Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil, grown, harvested and first cold-pressed in northern Victoria. I've got some news regarding the West Coast Eagles uh, a bit later on in the program regarding two players and possibly the captain of the WAFL West Coast Eagles team for next season. Uh, I'll share that with you a bit later on. But firstly, 
But let's get into the top five at five. Uh, and there's a Novus Autoglass near you, 13.22.34. Certainly the Corey Webster story uh, significant today. Other than that, these were the top five stories over the last couple of days. Number five. Corner number 15 for Spurs. Richarlison! In the eighth minute of stoppage time, the Spurs player who Richarlison, Kulisevsky. Oh, would you believe it? A virtuoso strike from Dejan Kulisevsky. And this place has gone absolutely crazy. 100 minutes on the clock. 100 minutes on the clock. Uh, they scored the winner in time added on uh, at the end of the game. 10 minutes time added on. They scored the equaliser against Sheffield United, who led by one goal to nil. Eight minutes into injury time. And two minutes later, they scored the winner. Unbelievable what's happening at Tottenham Hotspur. And the crowd of 61,000 just went off. Number four. Clearly, clearly we've played some debutantes on this tour. Um, we've been stretched a little bit with, with injuries. Um, I think the way that we attack the power play with our top order batting um, with Travis, uh, Davey and obviously Mitch in that top three, we had to readjust that on the back of an injury, but I thought that was a real positive. Um, there's plenty of room for improvement. Uh, there's no doubt in the last three games we were a little bit sloppy in, in all three phases and you know, a little bit of execution, decision making. And we've got to sharpen those things up uh, coming into a World Cup. But as Mitch said, I think South Africa played some, some brilliant cricket. Um, almost full-strength team as well. Um, so you've just got to give credit to your opponents sometimes, but there's no doubt we need to sharpen up. They certainly need to sharpen up, but uh, there's got to be a few more games before the World Cup gets underway in about a month's time. But career best performances from Marco Janssen and Kishav Maharaj uh, propelled South Africa to a 122-run thrashing of Australia at a raucous sold-out Wanderers Stadium in Joburg. Uh, the Proteas eased to a 3-2 ODI series triumph, triumph after Australia led 2-0 after winning the first two games. Uh, Janssen's thrilling 47 of 29 balls, helped the home side amass 9 for 315, and then they skittled Australia for 193. Mitch Marsh, by the way, who opened the batting top score with four, uh, 71, and Manas uh, Labuschagne, they call him Labuschagne in South Africa, made 44 and they added 90 for the third wicket before their back-to-back -back dismissal sparked a horror. Eight for 69 collapse. Number three. Clearly, you know, it'll be a different challenge against Collingwood next week. Um, they're, they've been a quite a good stoppage team also um, across the course of the year. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like our game's in good order. Um, we're healthy. I think we'll have a full list to pick from again. Um, we couldn't be a better place to take on Collingwood next Friday. Yeah, it should be a fantastic game. I'm quite excited about the Giants. Uh, everybody is predicting Collingwood and Brisbane in the AFL Grand Final for 2023. But you can't dismiss the likes of the Giants and even the Blues up there at the Gab after their Blues. A great victory against Melbourne uh, the other night. But the Giants, they've won 11 of the last 13 after only winning three of their first 10. And Adam Kingslet said it's taken them half a season to get where they need to be. And boy, oh boy, they've got the momentum at the moment. Number two. Well, obviously disappointed. Uh, you know, we started the game 
very uncharacteristically not like us. You know, we've been really sharp at the start of games. We've played with a fair bit of pace and precision, and today we were sloppy, you know, whether that was the physicality of Fiji. Um, but full congratulations to Fiji. You know, they, they played really well, and it's a, a deserved victory for them. And, and you know, I'm really pleased for them as a team, and we've got some work to do. You know, we've got Wales next week. Uh, yeah, the great thing about the World Cup tournament is not the end of the road. Um, yeah, we've got Wales next week, so we need to kick some stones tonight, um, work out where we can improve quickly, um, and then get on with the game against Wales. Yes, the performance there by the Wallabies. We'll talk more about it a bit later on, going down to Fiji with Mickey Collis when we talk rugby. But that was a disappointing loss last night. They've got Wales and Portugal to come in their pool matches. Number one. We said before the match, 100 minutes at halftime, 60. And now it's only 25. We've come too far, let us slip now. That is not to say we go defensive, though. We're still keeping this bloody pressure up. It's never been kept up before in the history of North Melbourne. Thing I, in football I ever did, uh, really, to, to, to change clubs. In fact, I changed my mind a couple of times, and it was nothing to do with you know trying to frisk any extra pounds out of Carl. It was nothing to do with that at all. I just ring up and I said, I just, I just can't do this. Just personally, uh, it was one of the best things I ever did in footy. Amazing. Uh, Ron Barassi, who passed away across the weekend, the first one you heard was a 1975 grand final speech when they beat Hawthorne 19-8 to 9-13. That's a three-quarter time. And the game was up for grabs in some way. North Melbourne led at that stage by 29 points, uh, but then kicked seven goals to two in the final term on the back end of that address from Ron Barassi uh, in front of 110,551 people. And then, which we'll talk to Hassaman about, the bombshell at the end of the 1964 season when Ron Barassi decided to leave Melbourne, his family club, because his father, his late father, played for Melbourne and his late father died in the Second World War when Ron was a fairly young man and moved to Carlton. So we'll talk to Hassaman. He's going to join us on the other side of the break. That's the top five at five. Thanks to Novus Auto Glass. Don't let your old windscreen end up as landfill. Call Novus Auto Glass 13 22 34. This is Sports Day WA with Peter Vlahos. Thanks to Kia and the EV6 GT World Performance Car of the Year. And Toolmart, the complete tool centre serving WA for over 45 years. Give us your thoughts on the temper of bedshed text machine about uh, Ronald Dale Barassi, about what Phil Cracker is doing in relation to that uh, landmark case against the AFL. Uh, 0487 736 736. And do you think the AFL is reactionary? Now they're talking about uh, etching Barassi's name uh, for future generations. Maybe it should have been done a bit earlier, in my opinion. 19 past five. A man that you knew very well. We all thought we knew... Ronald Dale Barassi very well because of the uh, the footprint that he had on Australian rules football. But you were very close to him, of course, uh, during your playing days at the Melbourne Football Club. No doubt the Melbourne Demons, the Blues, North Melbourne, Sydney football communities are certainly mourning his passing. But saying that, the whole football community around the country are doing just that. 
Yeah, well, that's very true. Uh, I consider myself very lucky, Peter, to have played, you know, six years with Ron and uh, played when he played at his very best. And uh, I played with him in, as I say, in three premiership sides. I played with him in state football. I played him within, with him in international football. So um, I can only speak very, very highly of my mate Ron. You're saying you played in three premierships. Of course, you did at the Melbourne Demons, 1959, 1960, and, of course, 1964, which was his final year at Melbourne. Uh, he left to go to Carlton, and you took over as captain from Ronald Barassi. But we'll come to that in just a moment. Can you give us an idea, certainly from my point of view, because I never saw him play, what sort of player he was? Everyone knew that he was a great competitor. But I guess what they didn't know, that he was a great competitor at anything that he confronted. I mean, football, yes. Chess, yes. Um, table tennis, yes. Marbles, yes. You name it, anything that Brassie took on, he had to win. And uh, in addition, he was looking, he was very inspirational through individual acts that he would do throughout a game. He was one of the few footballers who I believe could change the game through his own individual brilliance, being that a tackle, being a, a, an impossible goal, being at a knock-on. And the greater the challenge that he had, the better performer he would be. And obviously, in the big matches, in state games, in, in grand finals, he excelled. It's interesting they say that he, in some ways, changed the game before he even took to the field. Uh, what was his imposing features in his character that resonated with the football community? Because now they're talking about naming the Premiership Trophy after Ronald Dale Barassi. And I thought to myself, well, why didn't they do it when he was still alive? But that's certainly uh, a conversation for another day. But what was he like off the field? Uh, look, um, I think I think it was Barassi that probably instigated the Ruck Rover. I know when Ron, well, I don't know, but when I hear that when Ron first came to Melbourne, he was tried in a number of positions and they really couldn't find a position that really suited him. And it, I guess Norm Smith soon established that because of his... Um, uh, aerobic capacity because of his strength and because of his inspirational traits. Um, uh, after being tried in a number of positions, the Ruck Rover position was where he excelled most. And so therefore, I guess that if we look at today's football, Ruck Roving was started by Ron Barassi. Let's have a look at that period where it caused seismic shockwaves through then the VFL community when at the end of 1964, he decided to go to Carlton for the start of the 1965 season. People thought he'd be a one-club player. He played over 200 games for the Melbourne Demons. What was it like yes. when he said he was getting up and leaving the MCG? Well, it was a great shock to us players, particularly because... We had just won the Premiership in 64 and we were celebrating well and I guess it was in, I think, middle-late November, out of the blue, the media announced that Barassi was going to Carlton. And from our perspective, 
it was almost like a death in the family. I mean, how could it happen? I mean, Mr. Ron Barassi, Mr. Melbourne, if you like, how could he change allegiance and go to the opposition? And it was even that uh, at that stage in discussions that uh, Norm Smith was prepared to step aside as coach of Melbourne to let Ron take over that role. But us knowing Barassi, he knew that if he wanted to succeed at coaching, he couldn't do it at Melbourne, having been a player and that with his reputation for so long. He knew that he had to make the break and go his own way. And as a state, uh, it uh, shocked the public and took the public a long, long time to accept the fact that he wouldn't be wearing the red and blue 31 Guernsey. And what was it like for you stepping into his shoes as captain of the Melbourne Football Club in 1965? And do you recall the moment or the first time that Melbourne met Carlton in that season? When I was appointed captain, I realised, well, even before then, Peter, I thought that 64 was the grand final that Melbourne had to win because it was probably the last the last two or three players, the Barassis, Dixons and Adams, that, um, that, that started in 1952. It was there to be their last season, perhaps. And uh, um, then me being appointed captain, I was probably prepared for the Melbourne Football Club to go down somewhat because we then had to introduce a lot of new players into our club and uh, that was, of course, the start of the demise of Melbourne. What's really interesting is he won four more premierships as a coach, two with Carlton, two with North Melbourne. As, as we know, he was a six-time VFL premiership player, also won uh, in the mid-50s with 55 and 56. Where do you think he was at his best? Was he at his best at Melbourne? Carlton or what he did with North Melbourne? Or is it hard to oh, judge? Very hard to judge. Of course, you, you can't go past his Melbourne record. I mean, he played in the losing grand final in 1954 when Melbourne were beaten by Footscray. He then played in 55, 56, 57. Um, he played in 58 and they got beaten. He played in 59, 60 and 64. He won the six premierships, and quite frankly, you know, had they had had Melbourne won against Collingwood in 1958, he would have had quite a record mm. of, of six in a row. Um, having said that, it doesn't surprise me and didn't surprise people at Melbourne that Barassi would be a success wherever he went because he had that he had that charisma, he had that uh, drive, he had that determination. And he was prepared to make hard decisions as a coach going back in those early days. And the fact that he was able to um, win that, that, that memorable uh, grand final against, um, what, 69 was it, uh, against Carlton, where we, he, he went the handball route. And then also, if you look at it, the North Melbourne won two premierships, yeah. which I think were the first premierships that they ever won. That's right. So um, um, all players who played under Barassi would look back now and appreciate and think how lucky they were to be part of his career. 
And as we let you go, Hassan, man, uh, a legend yourself uh, in your days here at the Melbourne Football Club. Uh, what do you, if you had to pay a tribute to Ron Barassi, uh, how would you surmise the great man? He was the best. Simple as that, with an inverted as comma. Sim- as, as simple as that. Yeah. He was he was Mr. Football. He was the best. Hassaman, we really appreciate your time. Thank you very much uh, for spending some time with us and reflecting on what was a marvellous, marvellous football career and a marvellous gentleman in Ron Barassi. Thanks for your time and we'll keep in touch. Good, Peter. Welcome back to Sports Day WA. And don't forget that Beaumont Tiles is giving away a trip for two to American football's biggest game. Now, it's worth over $70,000. All you need to do is just shop in-store at Beaumont Tiles before November 12, and you're in with a chance to win. Of course, TNCs do apply. Speaking about going overseas to see a sporting event, this man's about to hop on the big bird in a couple of days' time. He's the man that covers the rugby for us. I'm just wondering if you'll see <laughs> Australia, and that is the Wallabies, in the quarterfinals after last night's disaster against Fiji in the pool match. We're talking about Mick Collis. Nobody knows rugby in Australia better than Mick. Mick, thanks for joining us. Yeah, Pete, my pleasure. And I tell you what, I'm glad that I'm going across for the pool games. And I'm glad I've done that because, as you mentioned there, we might be a bit shaky. If you book tickets for the quarters, semis and finals to watch the Wallabies, you might not be getting what you want to see. So they've gotten two matches in the pool games, Wales and Portugal. And I gather, before we talk about the loss to Fiji, they need to win both. Yeah, well, they, definitely, they definitely need... They'll, they'll beat Portugal. If, if, if we don't beat Portugal... Australian rugby should just give up. So we'll beat <laughs> Portugal. But it's Wales is the key for us. It's the top two teams go through. At the moment, Wales are on top of our pool, which is Pool C, and the Wallabies and the Fijians are on equal points. That's what, at the very end of that game, uh, even though Fiji had won it, they tried to kick the penalty goal, which would have would have denied Australia picking up the the single point for the uh, for the for the loss. Like you get a bonus point if you stay within seven. So they tried to do that to put themselves ahead of Australia. They missed the kick, so Australia and Fiji are level. Wales are on top. So the Wallabies need to beat Wales to give ourselves a chance of going through because Fiji were beaten by Wales. So it's become it's it's become a really interesting tough year. You, you basically you cannot afford to drop a game, but we will we will beat Portugal, but it all depends on us now, on um on us beating Wales because if we lose to Wales, I think we're gone because Fiji would have already played Wales and Australia. So Fiji will have Georgia and Portugal to win. So they'll, they'll have three wins out of their match and we'll only have the two. So we will not go through. So this next, um, I think it's Monday morning, Australia versus Wales. Our World Cup hinges on that game. Mm, interesting. Well, let's go back to what transpired last night. And I know, and I mentioned it earlier, and I featured him earlier, Australian head coach Eddie Jones made no secret of how much that loss hurt. It's hurting a lot of people that follow the Wallabies, certainly uh, through the country. And he's taken full responsibility for the result, which marked... Incredibly, the team's sixth loss in seven tests this year. But you can't shy away from Fiji. After all, as we know, in some of the World Cup warm-up games, they went to Twickenham and they beat England. So are we underestimating the emergence of Fijian rugby? Look, I think from what we've seen, 
Yes. I think the sad thing is, or not the sad thing from their point of view, but the Fijians have progressed at the same rate that we've regressed over the past 10 or 15 years. There was a time where if Australia played... I think the Fijians played Australia in, in Perth um, probably about 10 years ago, I think, from memory. And I remember then that if, if the Wallabies didn't put 50 points on Fiji, the Wallabies weren't trying. And they have improved so much to the point where we saw them beat England at Twickenham in their, their last match before the World Cup. So that really put the world on notice. And then for them to come out and beat Australia... Look, it was a surprise. It hadn't happened for 69 years since the. So that that you know, no one thought that was going to happen um, last night, but but it did. And I think that thing that's really helped Fiji. They'd always been very good at sevens because it was that free flowing, that unstructured style of rugby. When they got to to test match rugby with with 15 players and and so much structure was needed, that's where they fell apart. But because the Fiji and Drua have been playing Super Rugby the last few years. The, the, they've improved so much in, in knowing when they've got to just knuckle down and play structured football, but then still have that freedom to, to attack as we saw them do so well. So I just think them playing super rugby has has helped them so much. And I think the fact that they the, the game means so much to them, and they realise there is... Like my wife said to me this morning when I told the results, she said, how can a tiny country like Fiji beat the Wallabies, when we have got so many resources and we put so much money into the Wallabies. And she's got a good point because the Fijians, they're starved of money. They don't have the resources that, that we do have. One of their last camps, they all stayed in a hall just on mattresses on the floor while all our guys are in five-star hotels in camp, you know, wherever they might be. So uh, they, they take it they take it almost personally and they've got that added layer of wanting to win for their community because it does mean so much to them. And you saw at the end when that siren sounded just how, how passionate and you know, they, they were in tears beating beating Australia. So they were, look, I, I don't think, look, leading to the World Cup, yes, they we would have underestimated them, but the fact that they did beat England, that would have put us on notice. And then last night they came out. But, you know, to be fair, we didn't play well at all. We, 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 uh, we gave away 18 penalties, that missed 23 tackles, turn the ball over 11 times. Now, I don't care who you're playing against. If, you, if you've got those sorts of statistics, it's going to make it very, very hard for you to win a test match. And as I mentioned, when you add that, the level of emotion and the passion that the Fijians brought and them wanting to win, and they did target the Australians. Once they got beat by Wales, they knew they had to beat Australia to stay in this tournament. Otherwise, they were, they were out. They brought their game and they played extremely well. But the Wallabies, geez, they were they were disappointed. And, um, and Eddie Jones, one good thing about him, he does deflect a lot of the attention away from the players. But, geez, you've got to start taking some responsibility. Still, he's still pretty buoyant, thinks that we can still win. As he quoted, South Africa lost the pool game and went on to win the World Cup. But, you know, we just the he's picked a, a team of youth and it really came back to bite him last night just with no experience out there to, to get that team home. That's where we really fell down. So when you look at the Wallabies and, as we mentioned, Jones overlooked uh, the likes of long-time captain Michael Hooper and the veteran playmakers in Quade Cooper and Bernard Foley. Now, we all know those names, but uh, it appears they're not in the plans for Eddie Jones. In hindsight... Being the youngest squad at this World Cup, did you need a bit of uh, an injection of experience, particularly in that situation last night? Yeah, absolutely. And, and especially the, the number 10 playing for the Wallabies is a guy called Carter Gordon. He's, he's very, very good, but he's young. He's only played, I think that was his seventh test match. And he got hooked. Eddie Jones hooked him after, I think it was about 48 or 49 minutes. Now, normally, 
if you've got some old heads like Quade Cooper or Bernard Foley around that have been there and done that, you've got a young guy like Carter Gordon at training. He's surrounded by that experience. He can talk to them all the time about situations and what would happen to them. And then after last night, he could go back to the room with them, sit down, discuss his game. He's got mentors with him the whole time. He was the only number 10 that Eddie Jones picked. The only the backup number 10 is a guy called Ben Donaldson, who's signed for the Western Force next year, who started at fullback. He's the backup number 10. Ben Donaldson wasn't even the Waratahs' first choice number 10. I think he was about number four in their list, which is why they let him go to the Western Force. So all of a sudden, uh, a number 10 that the Waratahs don't even want is the backup number 10 for the Wallabies. So that experience in those key positions is so vital. And I just think that that experience of someone like Quade Cooper and Bernard Foley being around that squad, yes, start, start Carter Gordon. He is certainly the future. But if he goes no good, you bring in someone like Quade Cooper, who's been there, done that, can steer the ship, settle things down, control it, and then he can then talk to Carter Gordon and advise Carter Gordon. So when Carter Gordon comes back in, he's got the confidence again. So now, as Sonny B. Williams pointed out last night, Carter Gordon's confidence is going to be absolutely shot. Being hooked by the coach in a World Cup in only a six or seven test match, you know, that's really going to be hard for that guy to bounce back from. And, and coming into a crunch game like Wales, He's going to be second guessing everything that he does now. So it's it's a really it's a really tough one. I, look, I, and from the start, it's always been about this home World Cup in 2027. That's the one the Wallabies want to win because we saw from the Matildas how excited Australians all get when we've got a, a World Cup on home soil. But the risk is when you put all your baskets in 2027, if a lot of your fans fall off the the wagon because how poorly you go in 2023, then you're starting from scratch again to try and get them back on board for 2027. So the Wallabies, they need to perform well. It's such a competitive market in Australia for, for eyeballs and money. You've got to have the Wallabies playing well. And at the moment, all the talk around is how, how poorly they're going. So people who are, you know, fringe fans, they're thinking, well, look, I'm not going to support them. The AFL finals are on, the NRL finals are on. I'll watch those. I won't even worry about the Wallabies. So, it's really, really tough. And I feel sorry for this young side. It is a young side. They just don't have the experience. They don't know how to cope in those situations at that international level. Uh, you've covered it beautifully, uh, Mickey. As we let you go and safe travels to France, and we'll keep in contact here on Sports Day WA when you do land and progress through to the business end of the tournament. Very simple question. No doubt requires a pretty simple answer with deep thought. Do you, are you confident the Wallabies can get out of the pool and qualify for the quarters? Oh, look, that's, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Uh, on, on paper, on paper, you would say no. I, I think on paper that Wales have got a, a, a better team, but Wales, they're not playing great rugby, but they're probably playing better than, than Australia. And the one thing about Eddie Jones, he, he can he can get a team. But that, look, we haven't seen it. He's, I think he's only won one test out of seven. But I think that the, the Australian spirit and the way that, that Australia likes to we back ourselves as the underdog, that's something we're all very proud of as Australians. And with their backs to the wall, as they will be on Wednesday night, I think that we can beat Wales. We'll have to play extremely well, not have mistakes, and Wales will have to be a bit off their game. But I think I think we can beat Wales, and I think we can get through to that quarterfinal. If we don't, it'll be the first time ever that Australia, one of the you know supposed rugby powerhouses, has never progressed past the pool stages. So there's a lot of history riding on this team. As I said, they won't want to be the first team to to not progress out of the final. So I think they'll pull something special out of the bag uh, next weekend. Which is, I mean, they've got to do. They've got to. They've got no choice but to do that. I think that that's why they'll do it.
You know it well, mate. You know it back to front. You love your rugby, and we love talking to you. Thanks for joining us, Mickey. Again, safe flight to uh, France, and we'll keep in touch here on Sports Day WA. Thanks, Pete. My pleasure to talk to you from France. Mick Collis uh, joining us here on the program, looking at uh, that debacle last night for the Wallabies. Let's move on. We've got a brand new segment on this Monday called The Leg Up. It's uh, sponsored by Australia's fastest growing tipping service, and they're looking at unique ambition at the VRC Oaks. They reviewed the meeting at Ramwick, and they think that unique ambition is absolutely one to follow. She was only having her third career start, and despite still carrying the maiden tag, she was completely luckless in the T-Row stakes behind Tis Invincible. She was never clear, so we can be forgiving of the beaten margin, and she's bred to stay. She's in the right stable, that's John Sargent's, and to be stretched in trip, uh, we think she's worth a ticket in the VRCO. There you go. Get a leg up on the bookies with Australia's fastest growing tipping service, the leg up. Dot com.au. And just before I go, don't forget the double demerits apply from midnight to Thursday until midnight Monday. We've got a long weekend coming up here in Western Australia for speeding or using a mobile phone or radar detector while driving. Get caught and you could lose your licence twice as fast. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Connor, for your help with the program. Hope you've enjoyed it, ladies and gentlemen. This has been Sports Day WA with Peter Vlahos. All thanks to the Kia EV6 GT, the World Performance Car of the Year, and Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 45 years. See you tomorrow.